It's great to see you all. It's great to have you with us. It's, I was gone last week, and uh, Sharon and I had a, a little time away. It was very restorative, so thank you. Um, but it's good to see you and be back together. But last Thursday, uh, I was given the opportunity to, to come alongside and help out at a back-to-school night over at uh, the middle school here in Rancho Santa Margarita. It's where uh, Sharon teaches. She teaches uh, the library. Uh, she's a librarian, but also she's a foods teacher there. And um, so back to school night, it, each class kind of showcases what they're going to do. New sixth graders come in and uh, observe what's going on in the classroom. So I was helping with the, uh, the tortilla station. It was awesome. Uh, we were making tortillas and cooking them up, and cheese was going everywhere. Um, and, and families and, and friends were coming into the classroom uh, and, and observing and seeing what, and they get a little sample of the, the tortilla. And then there was a bread station, a, the baguette bread, fresh baked bread. Now, as the people were coming through, family and, uh, and the community and new sixth graders, it was awesome because there were all these... Uh, People that I've known, some of you were there. Thanks for, I, I saw you. It was great. It was fun. To, you know, many of you know I was a youth pastor at a church down the street for uh, many years, many years ago. And some of these kids that were in my youth group are now married. And some of these kids in my youth group are now, they have kids. Some of these kids from my youth group, their kids are in sixth and seventh and eighth grade. I'm getting younger every day. And they come, and it was awesome to see them. And they go, Pastor John, do you remember me? I'm, oh, yeah, I remember you. I, oh, yeah, that was great. You were kind of a little out of control in high school, weren't you? <laughs> it was great. One of the things that was interesting, people kept saying over and over, man, we could smell the bread out in the corridors and out in the, uh, in the other classrooms. It was awesome. We couldn't help it. We're not going to, you know, my kid is not taking this class, but we're coming in here anyway. we we'll take a sample of the bread. It was awesome. It was awesome. You know, the sense of smell is, is powerful, isn't it? You know, we, we all know that. It, maybe even more so uh, this year as um, in the last couple years as you know, you, you lost your sense of smell. It, it was of concern. <laughs> you know, you maybe have some, something that the pandemic, pandemic brought to us, right? It's no surprise that we were reminded uh, by scientists. They've known all along the sense of smell is, has a unique link to all of our other senses. The sense of smell tells us what flavor Without smell, we lose the ability to determine flavor and, and what creates our appetite. And, and you know your sense of smell can trigger all sorts of things in your, in your life. Uh, memories, that olfactory bulb in our brain links scent to an event, doesn't it? So you walk into a, a kitchen or a house and the cookies are in the oven and it takes you back to when you were a child and grandma was cooking the security of grandma's house, maybe. Scent can transport us momentarily to experiences in the past. The sense of smell plays a key role in our passage of Scripture this morning that we are invited to as a church to reflect on together, that will encourage our faith, encourage us in our life with God together. 
There's a dinner party, and it's been planned and set to honor Christ, to honor Jesus. And like most dinner parties that Jesus is a part of, there's something that goes awry, or there's a scandal, or somebody starts an argument. Jesus suddenly becomes a bit of a scandal. There's a valuable flask of perfume is, is torn open, spilled out, and in a moment of tenderness and gratitude, the room is filled with this intense aroma, triggering memories, emotions, binding all five senses together in this one place, in this one event. John Gospel accords this event um, in chapter 12, starting at verse, uh, verse 1 through 8. Hear God's word together, dear friends. It was six days before the Passover feast. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Lazarus was the one Jesus had raised from the dead. A dinner was given at Bethany to honor Jesus. Martha served the food. Lazarus was among the people at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard. It was an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the sweet smell of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot didn't like what Mary did. He was one of the disciples, Jesus' disciples. Later, he was going to hand Jesus over to his enemies. And Judas said, why wasn't this perfume sold? Why wasn't the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's pay. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor. He said it because he was a thief. Judas was in charge of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. The perfume was meant for the day that I am buried. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. We're the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bethany is a very small village, less than two miles east of the city of Jerusalem, the city walls. Bethany means house of the poor. This is the place where Jesus stayed while working in Jerusalem. He would go into the temple courts during the day and argue with the religious leaders and, and turn the tables over once in a while, and, and then he would go back to Bethany. It's Bethany where Mary and Martha lived. All four Gospels have this story. No one left it out. The story at its core remains one of the most sensual, tender, and provocative stories in the New Testament. And it was a party. And you can imagine all the smells that filled the room with any type of party when you're gathering together to honor someone. Whatever's cooking in the kitchen, whatever Lazarus has out on the barbecue, in the back patio, it was a time of celebration, bread and wine, and Jesus was there honoring Jesus for what he had done. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Just yesterday, the guy sitting across from the table was in a tomb, wrapped up like a mummy. And as shocking as that was, and must have been at the dinner table that evening, 
Mary sends shockwaves <laughs> through the whole dinner party, and everyone gathered there that evening. The shock at the exposed hair. Shock at the woman who would touch Jesus' feet. Shock that she would use her hair to wipe up the ointment. Shock at the reckless gesture of how much money was spilled out. Nothing short of a scandalous act. Was Martha embarrassed for Mary? Did Martha take her sister aside after the meal and question her? What was that all about? Did Martha take Jesus aside like she did earlier and said, why, why is Mary at your feet all the time and I'm in the kitchen slaving away? Come on, why is this? John records no other comments, no other voices, but Judas alone. Judas gets a good whiff of Mary's perfume breaks open the, this undercurrent of suspicion that John has for Judas. Judas voices a seemingly righteous uh, assessment of the scandalous act. There he stands. Why wasn't this ointment sold? Or a whole lot of money on eBay and used for the poor. It could have served so many. Come on. Judas's greed seems to be twofold here in this moment. The greed for notice, right? I notice that this could be used for the poor, unlike the rest of you spectator disciples. Or what about the greed for dishonest gain, as John points out? It's interesting how John will not let the church forget about this Judas guy. Hey, look out for that guy. He's a good-for-nothing dirtbag, lying thief. He's out to betray Jesus. He's, he, John's a little bit of a, a spoiler alert here. It, it hasn't happened yet, and he's telling his readers that Judas is the one who's going to betray. Don't believe for a second this whole pretentious, I'm caring for the poor bit. He's a counterfeit, just as a $3 bill. Jesus' response is as unexpected as Mary's scandalous act of pouring out the perfume. Here he's a champion of the poor. And what does he say? He's always been part of those who's alienated and displaced, always putting their needs ahead of his until this moment. Leave her alone, Judas. Leave me alone, Judas. My time is running out, and she knows it, and she's preparing me. She's preparing you for what is to come. It's a powerful scene indeed, where a woman kneels at Jesus' feet, breaks open a jar filled with outrageously expensive perfume from India, dares to love Jesus with scandalous generosity. Hair, tears, hands, feet, a house filled with lavish Aroma and fragrance of perfume poured out in a seemingly careless and wasteful way. John wants the church to get a good whiff of what's going on in the room. Awaken our senses as we prepare for what awaits Jesus in the week to come. And there are three aspects of this story that I see, 
feel that come to the surface that, I, that, that touch me, that I believe John, I'm convinced John wants the church to reflect on. Three aspects. First is that Mary's scandalous generosity here reminds us of God is often extravagant and lavish, except, excessive like Mary is. She pours out abundance. God has poured out an abundance of costly grace for you and me. For Jesus to come to Bethany here in this moment, to this dinner party is a cost. How so? Well, he knows, as they know, at some level, Jesus is just a few days before he's across the Jordan River, safe from his enemies, And when they're making the decision to go to Bethany to to be there with Mary and Martha and and, and Lazarus, Joseph says, don't don't go. We're not going. You can't go. You know what's awaiting you. By returning to Bethany, as one states, he forfeits his life for his friends. After Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb, John tells the religious leaders have had a private meeting already. They plot to kill Jesus. They have decided that it is better for one to die than for their nation to be taken from them. You see, there's a garrison of Roman soldiers just north in Syria awaiting. If there's any revolution, if there's any unrest in Jerusalem during the Passover feast, all they got to do is call that garrison down and they'll take care of everything. And they're worried about that. It's better for one man to die than the people perish, for the whole nation to perish. By returning to Bethany, John tells us the temple police are hot on his trail. By raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus' file they had on him in the police station moves from nagging annoyance to imminent threat. A warrant is put out for his arrest. John has set the stage for what will follow. Betrayal, arrest, trial. Jesus will be flogged. He'll be put on a cross, hung there, left to die, and buried in a borrowed tomb. John has set the stage for the church to reflect on the costly grace that we have, that we experience through Christ A costly grace versus a cheap grace. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer would write, see, a pastor from World War II who was imprisoned under the Nazi regime, who lost his life at the order of Hitler. According to Bonhoeffer, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace indeed. For God so loved the world, we know this, that he gave his one and only son, that we might have life. We will not perish, but have eternal life. Costly grace, dear friends. John wants the church to reflect on that. John also wants the church to reflect on Mary's scandalous generosity helps us to appreciate what we have right now, 
with the knowledge that all life is temporal. Here today, gone tomorrow. Her act of love is a, a prophetic statement about the fact that not too long, here in the future, Jesus will be taken from them. Death will mark his life. And so Mary, who appears grateful, she values the moment she has. Jesus affirms that, doesn't he? You're not going to have me for long. For the writer John, he points out that Mary spills out a treasure to treasure the moment. One biblical writer puts it this way, what won't always be with us is an opportunity to see God in whatever and whoever stands in front of us right now. It puts our life with God in perspective. Value the moments that you have together, dear friends. Value the moments you have with your church family. Value the moments that God provides for you. Gifted you with friends, with family, I am so gifted with friends. I have a friend here this, today, a good friend of mine. He's known me since I was in elementary school. We lived in La Cunada together. His name's John. He, um, he spells his name wrong, though, J-O-N. I've tried to help him with that. He's a missionary. He served in the Middle East. His sister, a um, great friend of mine, too, really great athlete. And when I was playing baseball in Little League, I encouraged, I go, Amy, you should play baseball with us. You're, you, should, you could throw the ball so fast. And to my demise, she beat me out in second base. So she won the starting spot. Awesome, Amy. Anyway, friends, we cherish them. John, I promise I won't say anything about you when you were in high school. Where are you, buddy? Yeah. As long as you don't say anything about me when I was in junior high, all right? <laughs> Cherish the moments, dear friends, God has blessed us with, given us, puts our life in perspective. As a late theologian and Christian writer, Dallas Willard would tell us, in speaking about the spiritual life, he says, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your lives. When I'm in a hurry, I forget about what God has provided for me. When I'm in a hurry, I can't see what is right in front of me. When I'm in a hurry, I look past people. What's next when I'm in a hurry? When you're in a hurry, you can't see where God is working in your life. Mary's scandalous act of generosity reminds us that life is temporal and we need to slow down. How many coaches from the NCAA were telling their teams to slow it down, make your shot? Slow down, dear friends. Mary's scandalous act of generosity also challenges the church to honor Christ with the best of who we are. The church is called to honor Christ with its best, best of our time, energy, imagination, love, honoring Christ with our best. We're not sure where Mary got all this expensive perfume. Writing when 
Jesus says, hey, remove the stone from the tomb. I want to raise Lazarus from the dead. They go, no, 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 no. It stinks in there. They didn't use enough, maybe. I don't know. This expensive perfume harvested from the mountains of India. Was it a gift to the family as they grieved the loss of their brother? We don't know, but what we do know that Mary chooses to give it in honor of Christ. I've told you this before. And I'm always reminded when I sit in the room with our, with our elders and our deacons as we think about our spiritual life of our congregation where God is leading us as a community of faith where we are called to deliver concrete help to the hurts and the helps of, and the hopes of our community and our world. This group of people who have dedicated their lives and, and served this congregation they give of their best. They're so talented. I've told you, no corporation could afford the wisdom and the expertise as they sit and gather and pray and care for the concerns of this congregation. I'm always amazed. I'm always thankful. I'm always blown away by how passionate they are. They honor Christ with all they are. We're called to honor Christ in everything we do with our time and our talent and our financial resources. You know, every financial planner will remind us that we are to, as, as you get older, to, you know, put away a little bit of money, you know, and to build up some retirement for yourself. Put some savings away. Maybe start out slow, you know, put 1% more every year. Or, you know, in some ways, tithing is like that as we honor Christ with our financial resources. You know, for Sharon and I, there were years that we were so far from our 10%. We had so many demands in our lives and things and bills and expenses, and we could barely meet that and, and fell far short of it. But eventually, you take time and you start building back, maybe 1% every year. Maybe you pick a day, your birthday. Add one more percent. Honoring Christ with all that we are, with our faith, our love, our imagination. How will you honor Christ this week as Mary honored Christ with your time, your talent, and your financial resources? Mary's scandalous act of generosity reminds us that we are valued cherished and loved by God through costly grace. Mary's scandalous act of generosity reminds us that life is temporal and we are to honor God with every moment, cherish the moments that God has given us. And Mary's scandalous act of generosity reminds us to honor Christ with our best, not hold back. And who we are, the best of our time and our imagination and our love.